the, I, I sometimes look at all, all like uh, public executives or etc. It's like, how do they build that confidence? Is the confidence really there or are they sitting at home thinking about all these things as well? I don't know. It's like, you know, all the all your decisions are like a combination of your upbringing and how you think about the world. And you, you I haven't seen how other people think about the world because I wasn't raised in their position. So it's, it's you're always missing something. And uh, thank you for this therapy session. I'll I'll, I'll skip. I'll, I'll, I'll send my bill <laughs> later. Welcome to the Shakeup. I'm Alexis Gay, and I'm Brianne Kimmel. And each week, we explore the business decisions that dare to be different, and the leaders who are shaking up their industries. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. We're there, ready to talk business. Hey, throw us a little five-star review when you have a second. Right, Brian? Yeah, please do. What do OnlyFans and scaling your business have in common? How does Spike Lee reach massive audiences? You know what? This sounds to me like it can only be one thing. Inbound 2021. That's right! Inbound, the fully immersive online experience, will feature speakers like Oprah, Spike Lee, Hassan Minaj, and more. And it's all happening October 12th to the 14th. Learn more when you register for a free starter pass at inbound.com slash register. You'll be automatically entered to win an all-access upgrade. And use our code SHAKEUP for $10 off any powerhouse pass. I'm excited for this conversation with Johnny. Oh, yeah, we got a big episode today. So today we're going to talk with Johnny Bufferhat, the founder and CEO of Hopin, which is the online conference hosting platform. He founded the company just two years ago, and today it's already valued around $5.5 billion. Also, at 27, he's the UK's youngest billionaire. We're going to talk about how Johnny is innovating in the virtual event space and managing a fully remote workforce. I'm excited for this conversation because for Hopin, you know, when they initially got started and when I first heard about the company, they were a team of about four people. And now over the Mm -hmm. last year, they've become a team of about 800 people. Johnny's such a great person to talk about building and scaling a fully remote team because the majority of people that work at the company have never met each other in person. That's so funny. Well, let's set the scene a little bit about why some of those things were able to take place. Because one of the big reasons why Hopin saw that growth, like a lot of remote companies, a lot of virtual events companies, is that events were one of the biggest areas of business that were affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. So companies who ran conferences of all shapes and sizes were forced to find ways to take their events virtual. But before that, more than 70% of marketers didn't have a virtual event strategy. Does that surprise you or does that sound right to you? You know, it does surprise me. And I hope that Johnny touches on this where historically, you know, companies have done webinars or they've had, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of on-demand content, maybe on YouTube or somewhere else. But this whole notion of how do you actually build community online and how do you bring customers and prospects and, you know, interesting, influential people together virtually has been something that's really been um, reimagined during the pandemic. Totally. But I will say that I think, to your point about community building, that was already happening pre-pandemic. We see things like Discord, like Slack channels, different forums popping up. But as far as events and conferences online, that's something that it seems had a really pivotal shift during the COVID-19 pandemic. I had not attended a virtual event before that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The one thing I was thinking about, though, and and I know Johnny um, will talk about this, is the nature of hybrid events Mm -hmm. and sort of how all industries have created new formats for people to either engage, you know, virtually or introduce like maybe COVID safe in-person elements. 
Totally. So just to quickly define it, when you're talking about hybrid, you're talking about an event that has both a virtual attendance component and something in person, right? Yeah. What's interesting to me about that is how we're going to see companies do that in a way that's engaging for both audiences. Because speaking from personal experience, it can be very different to engage online viewers and listeners than it is to engage viewers and listeners that are in person 10 feet away from you in an audience. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of pressure for companies today to operate like media companies or to have an entertainment Mm -hmm. component to their business where I talk to companies that are even, you know, one or two years in business, like they're an early stage startup and they're already thinking about, well, at what point do we start our own podcast? When do we start investing (sighs) in some of these large, expensive, like high production value events? Because the the bar is really high right now. It's interesting. So you mentioned that there's a big expense to a company for doing something like that. The average cost per attendee for a large virtual conference is $1,000 to $1,500. That's for a virtual conference. Okay, so that, that surprises really me. That really high to me. I'm pro-virtual conference from the perspective that it is very scalable, Once you record Mm. a lot of these conversations, you can upload them to YouTube. You can turn each conversation or keynote or fireside chat into multiple blog posts. I think it can be be very efficient um, from a cost standpoint. I just had an idea. You know what companies should start doing? They should start hiring comedians to offer to punch up keynotes and presentations at these events. Because of our point about charisma and entertaining your audience. I'm available for hire. <laughs> you heard it first, Alexis Gay. One of the things that we're, of course, talking about today is the fact that Hopin can enable so much of what we're talking about. And I wanted to quickly discuss how patently outrageous their growth trajectory has been, because I think it'll sort of set up the conversation that we're gonna have with Johnny later. Brienne, you know this story really well, but in 2019, Hopin is founded. That is so recently. When people say 2019, I'm like, cool, that just happened. In the same year, Hopin saw 60% month-on-month growth and began fundraising. In 2020, they launched a seed round, and then later, they raised a $40 million Series A. Brienne, what do you think about seed round to $40 million A round in the same year? This is a very special company. I would say most investors Mm -hmm. would discourage companies to raise this much capital so quickly. Right. So fast. Um, I am seeing firsthand where companies are choosing to hire fewer people and to, you know, scale in a more reasonable way. This is not the case Mm -hmm. with Hopin. Like, they went from four (laughs) people to now over 800 people. And so, you know, from the team size to the um, funding rounds, like, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, um, which speaks a lot to both the customer demand that they were seeing. You know, a lot of it was accelerated by COVID. But I also think they, you know, one thing that I've noticed time and time again with this team is they're not afraid to say yes and to take on really big opportunities, even if they're not quite ready for it. And that's a very unique um, circumstance. I'm going to disagree a little bit, just a little bit. I don't think that's unique. What I think is unique is being able to actually deliver. I've seen plenty of companies say yes to everything that comes across their plate and do kind of a not so great job than actually fulfilling those orders. So Yeah, that's a great point. Saying yes is great, but being able to actually deliver, I think, is where Hopin is separating itself from the pack. 
And I mean, that's not the only thing that, of course, sets them apart in terms of their trajectory, because after they raised the seed round in 2020, after they raised the $40 million Series A in 2020, they raised a $125 million B round in 2020. What? (laughs) It wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, a consensus sort of style of company building where Mm. Johnny did not fly to uh, Silicon Valley. You know, he's never been to Sand Hill Road. He's never met these investors in person. Um, They don't have an office. Um, Everyone is fully remote. Um, You know, we're starting to see clusters where they have a a kind of a larger Mm -hmm. emerging uh, number of employees that live in New York or some in L.A. or many are based in the U.K. But it's a fully remote team, which, you know, a year and a half ago sounded pretty crazy. Totally. And just to add some context around the number of registered users, in the last eight months, it's gone from 5,000 registered users to 3.5 million it's truly really wild. Okay. And then at the end of 2020, they launched Hop and Explore, which allows users to discover new events. Now, that's something that I think is super interesting because with a lot of events platforms, you see white labeling, you see a heavy virtual feature set, but you don't necessarily also see discovery. From a lot of these recent decisions, it's clear that Hopin is making a strong consumer-facing push. You know, in the early days, mm-hmm. they were a platform that were they were selling software to businesses, and it was very much a B two B business model. Now we're starting to see because they have such a large number of registered users, they're in a really unique position to build one to one relationships with consumers and people that have attended one Hopin event. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, it's just it's such a, it's just a different approach. I mean, I think like Eventbrite kind of tried to do this to an extent, but it never I have never felt like, oh, I'll go look at Eventbrite to see what's happening. Obviously, they're doing in-person events, but even still, it always felt like discoverability for events was a, an afterthought, more so than a central feature. So, I think that's very interesting. In 2021, 48,000 events are hosted on Hopin. Yeah, absolutely, and it's great to see, I mean, with 48,000 events, you know, many of them are also hosting repeat events as well. And so I think it's really disrupting Mm -hmm. the industry from the perspective that once you host one and see, you know, how scalable it can be, they're seeing companies actually fundamentally change their virtual event strategy and host more, or Hmm. they kind of keep increasing the stakes and to keep iterating on this new format. The general take on conferences is that it's more of a corporate event. If you look at some of the Hmm. largest in-person events, many of them are more tied to um, what I would call maybe fandom, where if you look at Comic-Con, if you look at VidCon, uh, you know, yeah. Twitch has their uh, annual TwitchCon. You know, these are um, people of all ages, of all interests. I think, like, the one thing that's interesting about Hopin is it's not just for corporate events. They're actually streaming a lot of major events for publications and for many of these large platforms that naturally oh, have cool. a, a broader consumer audience. That's really interesting. Have you ever been to VidCon? I've been to VidCon. Um, I've also actually, I've been, I've been to the Star Trek convention, which I will say, of all the things what? that I've been to, that was the most interesting event that I've ever been to. What were the circumstances? Are you a bit, are you a Trekkie? I'm not a Trekkie. It's one of these things where, um, you know, I am very interested in consumer trends and sort of where things are going. I've also been to Comic-Con. Sure. 
Um, I think it's super fun That's to awesome. attend some of the industry talks. You know, I think if you look at the Star Trek convention, like, yes, you have super fans that will wait in line for hours just to get an autograph. Mm-hmm. You also have cast and crew and writers who have a lot to share. And then it it, it looks more like an industry-specific um, conference as well. Brian, if you're a Trekkie, I, I'll support you. You can tell me that. <laughs> I am actually, I think I'm a little bit, I'm I'm a little bit more of a Star Wars fan, to be honest. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, Brian, something that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts and something that Hoppin is obviously crushing it at, or at least so it would seem. We'll have to ask Johnny. But managing a re- fully remote workforce. This is a pretty hot topic. I mean, it's hot in the sense that everybody's talking about it. I don't know that it's a particularly new topic. I feel like this is, like I said, all anyone has been talking about for a year, but that's because it's incredibly, incredibly important. What do we think? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of debate for even early stage companies where does it make sense? And do you want to run the risk of having people working in different time zones? Do you want to run the risk of not being able to jump into the same room and whiteboard? Hoppin's been able to do this and they've gone from a handful of employees and primarily the, you know, the the founding team to now over 800 people. And so behind the scenes, I mean, we're both ops nerds. Their documentation and all of the systems that they have in place to make sure that the team is successful is really world class. And I and I hope that, you know, at some point they I bet it's gorgeous. I hope I really want them to just open source it all because I think this is gonna be the company that really proves a lot of, you know, specifically investors wrong that, quite frankly, did not want to invest in remote teams. Wow. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I wish they would open it up. That would be so interesting. (laughs) As an investor, are you equally as intrigued by companies that are fully remote, hybrid, and fully in person? Or do you see one path as the best path forward? You know, it really depends on the nature of the team. I find that for founding teams that have previously worked together, they've already had that established relationship. Many of them are actually choosing to work in an office because that's what they know. They feel very comfortable working in person. They want to get the band back together. Like, I think that's one specific type of company that I'm seeing consistently um, choose to build an office. Um, When it comes to more hybrid or fully remote, you know, it really comes down to the, I would say, the ambition and the execution of the CEO. I think you have to be a mm. very structured thinker, someone that is really good at consistently realigning the team to make sure that yep. you're not losing time or there isn't confusion or, you know, a handful of people feel like the output of someone else on the team is lower than theirs. An interesting hot take is what if remote teams don't need to have culture defined in the way of happy hours and taking more time Mm. out of the day with your coworkers? That is a hot take. I've actually never heard someone even imply that it wasn't like the most important part of running a business. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so an interesting take here is for companies that are really clear on their company values, you know, say you're solving climate change, say you're working on a problem where naturally people want to come work for you because you're solving a really, you're solving a problem that they care about and you're solving a big problem. For those companies, I'm not convinced that virtual happy hours or playing bingo or, you know, taking on all these extra hours is actually a good thing. If anything, maybe Mm. those employees 
would like to spend more time with their family or they'd like to pick up another hobby mm. or there are things that they've been lacking in their personal lives that they haven't been able to fulfill in the last generation of corporate culture because they were commuting, because they had to stay after yeah. work and join team happy hours. Mm. I think it's a really, really interesting idea. I think that's something that more companies should consider. I don't disagree with you, but to play devil's advocate, I'm, I think something I'm wondering about is how you can keep people really engaged on the problem you're solving and really excited to keep up that intense pace of work if there isn't something else for them other than being fulfilled by the work itself. But I guess what you're saying is if you do a good job at rallying people around an aligned set of values for the company and your mission, maybe you don't need it. You may not have to work from the office or you may not have to do some of the traditional like culture building activities because the team is really excited about the work that they're doing. And then outside sure. of work, they get to have fun and, you know, make their own friends. And if you're working remotely, the nice thing is you can have friends from different industries and kind of reconnect with your neighbors, which mm -hmm. is exciting. Can I read you a quote from Johnny from an interview he did where he talked about their, their hack for being fully remote? Ooh, absolutely. I'd love to hear. Okay. He said, at Hopin, our big hack for remote is having a vibe team. It's a 10-person team that sits within our people organization, and they're responsible for everything to do with bringing people together. And then he goes on to say that they're in charge of their all-hands meeting, which they basically operate like a TV show. He said, the content is amazing. We use StreamYard to create super high production value. We produce features with different teams. We play games using integrations we've built into Hopin. It's a real production. They work on each meeting for three or four days. Wow. I... I mean, I would love to be the chief vibe officer. If there are any startups that are that are looking for a chief vibe officer, I mean, this is you a dream really job. You would really be a very good chief vibe officer. You would be very good at that. I think that if I were to have a vibes team, I would also want them to do things like release playlists every week, like good work playlists with like the coolest new music without lyrics that you can work to. Okay, so this is something that is an emerging trend that I'm seeing on investor updates where multiple companies that I've invested in in their monthly update, they share a Spotify playlist where each person on the team, like, shares their favorite song. They introduce really? a new artist. Like, I love just the level of creativity that's, that's awesome. coming out of companies because, you know, realistically, um, if you haven't met someone in person, like, music is such a great way to get to know someone. I think there's a lot of, like— Is that because that— they're afraid people aren't going to read the investor updates, and so they want something interesting in there. That's true. Investors read them. I'm assuming investors read them. That's like. actually that's actually a really good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> Not to be cynical. I'm sure every investor out there reads every single investor update. It's just one thought is that maybe this is so people open the email. <laughs> oh, that's a great point. I mean, it's funny to see, um, you know, speaking of investor updates, Companies are getting super creative. I've I've joined a couple of remote cooking shows where if you have a highly international mm. team, a great thing you can do with your team is let's get together and, you know, the first Thursday of every month or, you know, whatever cadence it may be, you have someone from a different country, you know, show you how to prepare their favorite dish. And like, it's so heartwarming wow. and so fun to get to know people on that That's level. That's awesome. That's great. See, you would be a great chief vibes officer, I'm telling you. Okay, Brianne, when we come back, we are going to hear more from Johnny about how he's not only managing a fully remote acquisition-based workforce at Hopin, but we'll also hear about the moment Johnny had to step away from coding so he could step into his role as CEO. All that and more coming up after the break. 
Today's episode is sponsored by those fine folks over at HubSpot. Managing conversations with prospects and customers and creating a remarkable experience can be tough. HubSpot wants to change that. That's why they created a CRM platform that makes it easy to align across teams. Oh, it's so much easier. With HubSpot's unified system of record, all teams can create a better customer experience without missing a beat. We love a unified system of record. We always say that. (laughs) You can install live chat on your website and allow sales or support to get in touch with prospects directly. Or send marketing emails on behalf of sales reps or customer success managers. Not to mention, it allows prospects to book meetings with reps without wasting time. Yeah, and best of all, teams can get access to all of a contact's history so they can have more informed conversations with prospects and customers and design a better overall experience. The result, all your customer people can align around the same goals, consistently great customer journeys that drive growth and lifetime loyalty. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. We're back. And while we might not be at a conference, we are interviewing remotely. And wouldn't you know it, today's interview is not only being done remotely, but it's with the man leading the charge. I am so excited for today's guest. He's the founder and CEO of Hopin. Johnny, welcome to The Shake Up. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis and Brianne. Brianne, you want to kick things off? Okay, yeah, Johnny. So we'd like to go all the way back to June 2019. That's a whole two years ago. When Hoppin was just getting started. Um, so you're you're in your 20s. You're based in London. This was pre-pandemic. Why virtual events? So I was very ill uh, for about two years. I had um, I had I was stuck at home uh, for the two years, uh, four years prior to that, but two years where I was recovering. And I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn. I was a part of Slack communities. I would attend, and I realized that when I would attend events, that's when I would meet more like people who are interested in the same thing. That's how I built yeah. my community. That's how I networked. And because uh, I didn't know anyone, I just moved to London uh, only four years back and being ill the oh, whole wow. time. So mm. the the point being uh, that I wanted to connect with people, I wasn't able to. I started to att- att- attend virtual events online. And um, it didn't really matter if there was like 10,000 people or 30 people there. Like a webinar experience is pretty shit. And, and so for me, it was how do I actually get the networking and engagement mm. um, at these events? And that's where I started building Hopin. That's awesome. So I'd love to go back to the early days at Hopin. Obviously, Hopin, you know, one of the fastest growing companies in history. Focusing in on those early days for a second, you as the founder are wearing a lot of hats. My understanding is that in addition to obviously running the business, you were also at that time writing the code. And for every startup CEO, it seems like there comes a time when you need to step away from doing a lot of that hands-on work to start building the company and your own leadership skills. Can you tell me a little bit about what that moment was like for you? I don't, I don't want to say it was like one moment. Every single every single like quarter that happened mm. and happened. So, so for me, it was like a huge learning curve that first moment that I realized that was when we hired our first engineers and I'm sitting there writing some code uh, yeah. and instead of like, you know, and these are much better engineers than me. <laughs> sure. They're, um, they're, you know, and, and there's no one else doing the recruiting stuff. All these other things that are really important. And it wasn't like I, I, ha- I hadn't realized that maybe I was just afraid to do stuff I didn't know how to do. And, and I think that's what naturally happens. I think everybody's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, when you I've never done something, I'm not good at it. 
how do I even start now? Like ever since that moment, and because I, I saw the impact that I brought when I started to get into basically filling holes and wearing hats wherever, you know, wherever I didn't fit. The first two, three months uh, switching a role for me, like let's say the first two months I was in recruitment mode. We didn't have recruiters and I was just like, who, who's, who can be a better recruiter than a CEO reaching to, out to someone on Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, and we actually, that's, like, that's how, we, how we doubled in size so quickly because it was me filling that role in. So, and then I was doing more customer success stuff because mm. we didn't have customer success at the time. And so just moving throughout every role and every single yeah. time I was like shit at the role for a month and a half. Then you figure out how to do it. And then again, you need to do something else. Then you're shit at that for a bit. I think at almost uh, every part of the scaling of the business, you need to be think about, am I actually, am I actually bring, bringing the right value here? Yeah. Uh, or is there some, some parts of the business that I should be doing or should be looking at in more mm. deeply that I perhaps don't like to look at or don't understand or whatever that uh, is not getting as much love? And I think, um, I think it's a, 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 you know, for, for me, it was every few months. You brought up a really interesting point around customer success. So with Hopin, because these are live virtual events and because there are thousands of people on a single, you know, on a single link, um, the stakes are pretty high. Was there ever a point yeah. when you thought, you know, we're not ready to work with a large company? We need to turn away some customers. Like, how did you balance like where the product, like what the product was capable of today? with some of the needs that were coming from from even larger customers. I so I'll be completely transparent on this. The product when we launched it in February 2020 was not ready. We were planning to launch it in September 2020 and we had this wait list of 20,000. We were doing this whole trendy thing of like wow. putting on a wait list, emailing oh, you, trendy. you know, yeah. to, to, to like superhuman ask like we read the stories like let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to build I mean? the hype. Build a little yeah, hype. Yeah, build the know? hype. And and so <laughs> we had this huge viral chain because of events, but then then it was like COVID happens and, and it, you know, you realize that there's this opportunity and we're like, so that's when we were like 14, 15 people. At that point, it's like the product's not ready, but we have like big companies like wanting to use us because they heard, they've attended one event and they've said this is, a, they want the product yeah. uh, and, or, or else they're going to go somewhere else to some shittier product. And yeah. so in our head it was like, we need to release uh, as quick as possible. And that's when the whole scaling thing happened, like the hyperscale hiring, like 20 people, me being the re recruiter, da, da, da. but we we were not ready and we said yes to everything. Like that was, when you asked me for the strategy, it was just like, yes, that was that was the strategy. Mm -hmm. But the point is that people weren't that demanding at the time. It was like COVID and Hopin was the best solution on the market. They, they didn't know what else there existed. Like we, we were the first ones with like networking features for virtual events, if you know what I mean. So it was, a, it, it was like, uh, you know, most customers were just onboarded. A question that I have is, you know, fast forward to today, how big is the team? Because you because you went into this mode of yes, 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 hire, 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 raise more yeah, money. Great question. How many people are on the team today? We are now eight hundred people. What the fuck? <laughs> that is so many people, Johnny. <laughs> Yeah, You're literally whatever. like building the minivan while it's hurtling down the turnpike, and the minivan actually has 800 people in it. Yeah, and and they're in 42 different countries, which is cooler. I love oh, the uh, I God. love the accessibility part, and uh, it, it it's it's really core to the mission at Hopin for sure. So, Johnny, you know, I'm curious, like, how has what you look for changed from those really early hires to now? We're talking about getting into almost a thousand people. Uh, are, do they, are they low ego? Uh, those were the two biggest things that I looked for. Is, uh, and 
was low ego and ambitious because if you're ambitious enough, you're going to deal with the pace. You're not going to want to let people down. You're going to want to you know, take ownership of as much as you can. And that's what we needed at the time. And uh, the same thing with uh, someone with a low ego. And, uh, for example, I, I always ask, like, name, name a time where basically uh, you did something uh, wrong and t- tell us how it ended up. And Love you'll it. get yeah. someone answer that question uh, and they somehow have to save face throughout it. Like, you know, <laughs> like even when you ask them something they did wrong, it's like, and this was the major problem. But, you know, in the end, it was someone else's fault. And, uh, yes. but I, you know, but I should have also let them know that they were doing something wrong. Like, so for, 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 for me, that was one of the most important questions. And I think it made a huge difference when we were hiring the initial starters mm-hmm. and the culture later on. Today, when, when I'm looking for executives, it's similar questions and it's similar like with the low ego and ambitious, mm. but it's also very much looking for uh, how people manage and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, wh- what is their experience in large teams? What is their experience in co- companies that have went through hyperscale? Like, it's much more about asking, can they organizationally and, um, you know, a- and, and based on like scale, can they survive and, and excel? Yeah. So high ambition, low ego, how do you stay a high ambition, low ego person yourself? It, for, for me, it was not only about our upbringing, but it also was, you know, I, I came to a realization uh, when I got super sick that I'm kind of lucky to be in the situation I was in. I was super, super ill, but I was also uh, lucky that I was able to support myself because I, had, I was able to get a degree, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't have that opportunity. And it's the same thing today. Like I could go outside and get hit by a bus. And, and that's mm-hmm. how life works. The ego part is like more just the realization for me that, you know, we're all we're all the same. We're all mortal. Mortal. We're all, uh, you know, like there's no difference between me and someone else, other than perhaps I got a little bit luckier and I made a f- few different choices. But but once you realize that it's a probability, I think you feel a little bit more, um, you know, uh, low low ego about life, if mm. if that makes sense. So um, and then and then from a high ambition standpoint, I'm ambitious because uh, I want to make an impact on the world. Uh, you know, money doesn't do much. Uh, a lot of people realize that. A lot of people don't realize that uh, because they never get enough money to realize it. Uh, so ambition has to be something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. can't be money. It can't be anything like that. And for me, I'm passionate about accessibility. Mm-hmm. I was super sick. I was stuck at home. I didn't have any opportunity. At the same time, you know, my parents were originally from Lebanon. I had family that was raised, in, that was born and raised in Lebanon and stayed there. And look at all the opportunities I had afforded because I was lucky enough to move and migrate to Australia. Whereas yeah. a lot of people that I know are, uh, are just as smart, just as good as people and just want to make, just want to make as much of an impact, didn't get those opportunities just because of location. So yeah. for me, uh, I, I know Hopin can make one of the biggest impacts in the world in regards to opportunities and location. That's why we're in 42 different countries, because we don't want to force someone to move to San Francisco or London to get a job. We want them to be wherever they were mm-hmm. in the world where they, you know, where they want to be. And at the same time, the, the products that we build as well from like from an events perspective, um, we, you know, we, we've been, you know, it, it, it connects people around the world. No, from no matter where you are in the world, you should be able to attend an event, get the same opportunities, network with the same people, regardless of where they are. So yeah. that's something that we're super passionate about. And uh, that's where my ambition comes from, at least. Well, it's it's amazing because um, to put this into context, this is on, this has been achieved in two years. You've gone out, you've started a company, you now have a team of over eight hundred people. You know what has what has changed about you in these two years? I think actually I've probably become a little bit more self critical over time. 
you always feel like there's more you could do and there's more responsibility and it's real responsibility. When you're at an earlier stage in the company, there's like, you know, there's four or five people working for you. They're excited. They know that it's yeah. a high risk startup environment and they're like, whatever. And you kind of feel less risk. You're like, we're, we're going for it. We're swinging here together. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're 800 people and there's like equity packages and they, and they have, some of them have uh, like, you know, have kids and they're like taking a huge, you know, huge risk. And it's like, you know, every decision, you have to weigh each decision. And you also have to think about like, you can never make the right decision as a CEO because you're always upsetting someone, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, yes. from internal cultural perspective. And, you know, even if you say, you know, we're a fully remote company, we hire people from everywhere and like, we're going to have no office. Like, yeah, you're still sure. going to upset people, no matter what it is you, you decide. So, you know, it, it's a lot more pressure, that's for sure. So you naturally become more self-critical, self-conscious, I think. I, I sometimes look at all, like, uh, public executives or et cetera. It's like, how do they build that confidence? Is the confidence really there, or are they sitting at home thinking about all these things as well? I don't know. It's like, you know, all, the, all your decisions are like a combination of your upbringing and how you think about the world. And you, you, I haven't seen how other people think about the world because I wasn't raised in their position. So it's, it's, you're always missing something. And uh, thank you for this therapy session. I'll I'll, I'll skip. I'll, I'll, I'll send my bill <laughs> later. Yeah, I was I was gonna say though. I mean, the the great thing about Hopin is, um, you know, with eight hundred and or and more people on the team, like you do have a lot of smart people around you, and I think that you've done an amazing job of bringing in a chief business officer, head of corporate development. In many ways, the company itself doesn't look like a startup that's been around for two years. It looks and operates. Like almost a public company, which is really impressive. Was that a conscious decision? Absolutely. Or did that just sort of happen? No, that was a, a, absolutely a conscious decision. And you hire people to to get you to the next stage. I, you know, we scaled as quickly uh, as possible, but we at every stage we hired people that uh, hired or or promoted people if they were doing a great job at it. Yeah. That could scale us for the next six months to a year. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to learn more about how you vet an acquisition. It's my understanding that a lot of your workforce has been acquired. Is that right? A lot uh, is, a, as I, mean, I think, is like 8%. How do you define or how do you identify people that you want to work with, considering that these acquisitions have been done during a pandemic and they have been fully remote teams? Are, are there certain things that you look for from a culture standpoint that makes them a good fit for Hopin? The uh, the key the key thing from the from a personal standpoint is the flexibility because when you're acquiring a company if they're not flexible if they're not flexible to the new styles to the new setups the new movement the new goals the new then you're never going to be able to acquire, acquire if if they're coming in saying like if I had to sell a company basically sell them to come in and say hey you know like you're gonna get everything you ever wanted it's gonna be exactly how you wanted we're gonna leave you alone and then the moment I ask for something that makes the entire brand better or whatever or the moment we need to make a, a shift and they're inflexible, yeah. then the acquisition went completely to waste. So it's about understanding if someone is like really flexible uh, and really open and, and low ego about these things. Because you know, and I don't mind if someone's strongly opinionated because opinion opinions are good. Let's argue. Yeah. But at least if you're flexible, it means that if you're if an opposing view is strong enough and makes sense enough, and you're convinced of it, you're going to actually do it. Totally. Well, you know, having recently acquired your fifth company, I think that's right. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Could be, who knows? It could, we could be on seven or eight by the time this <laughs> podcast comes out. Um, what do you think has, what do you think is your personal biggest learning from the first one to the, the most recent one? Uh, the biggest learning for me is that it's, you know, you have to uh, really, really keep a flexible mindset mm-hmm. when acquiring a business because 
you know, they're going to have different setups, they're going to have different cultures, they're going to have a different understanding of, of ways to work. You're going to have to, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of adoption. You know, they already have, they've already built their view of the world and, and yeah. you're trying to enforce, uh, push them into your view or let's say merge your views together, which, 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 which again, it's, it's a flexibility thing. Uh, and I think that's a mindset even for people that we hire because that, for us, it's like we change so much every, every month. And so it's like you need to be able to be flexible and take on these new challenges. And Yeah, and this was something that I experienced firsthand at Zendesk as well. It creates a lot of, you know, complexities even internally. Um, Johnny, the question I have for you is, you know, post-acquisition, what does the process look like to become a hoppineer? Is there, you know, an onboarding session? Is there someone in ops that's like driving this like post-acquisition oh, integration? Like, what actually happens when a company gets acquired by Hopin? Tell it. Do you get a hat? Do you get a t-shirt? Do you get your photo taken? You get all of that. Uh, uh, you get all of that. You get uh, all these cool swag, but more, and you get like, sometimes we send merged swag as well. So it's like, you know, hop in, love, stream oh, yard cute. hats type thing. Okay, I think we need uh, like the shake up loves hop in. What about that? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Uh, and, but but the, the biggest thing is you're onboarded like an employee, actually, because you have to remember remote is uh, very different from... I didn't have to, when we acquired StreamYard, we didn't have to convince engineers to move from Vancouver to London. You know, like they were still working in the same environment. So we just onboarded them like we would anyone. Our culture is to take people with their cultures and put them in Hopin and keep your culture, but have respect and have goals together. Wow. That's literally like... There's there's a there's a like we have a respect rule around hopping. You know I'm sure a lot of companies have uh, you know these things about like don't talk about politics. Uh, for us it's like talk about politics, but just talk to each other with respect. Like you have to be able to respect each other's differences, and especially when you're in 42 different countries. So when we're yeah. onboarding someone, like what is a hoppinier? A hoppinier is a person or is someone that's coming into hoppin with their separate culture, but blending in and and, and finding the right like goals, etc. It really feels like the United Nations. I think that's wow. something that uh, we've seen in like almost 10 of the last, uh, you know, 50 fe- like direct feedbacks that I've read uh, about the company after someone's been onboarded. They said like United Nations was like two words used in 10 of them. Like wow. it's, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting from that perspective. Post acquisition, you're sending them the swag you're onboarding your new Hoppineers. Adorable name, by the way. I did not say that earlier. And then do problems ever start to come up? And how do you, what kinds of problems are you seeing come up again and again? And how are you rising to meet those? It's a great question. Uh, uh, and to be honest, I don't want to underestimate it because I might look stupid in a year from now when, when there's a lot of problems. But the pre-acquisition and the post-acquisition is significantly easier remotely. So the pre-acquisition, convincing someone to move, uh, you know, I don't have to convince their loved ones if they're with, right. the, like, you know, uh, that, you know, London's, trust me, the weather is crap, but it's a great place to live right, and, you know, right. uh, and that you should leave uh, wherever you are. And at the same time, post-acquisition, you know, you're just onboarding them like like you would online. Like we're not playing musical chairs to make sure they're sitting next to the same person anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, or like we're not removing like, oh, this is the person I always share my hooks with or whatever. And <laughs> this is the person I like everything. Everything is online. Everything's remote. Uh, you're added to a new team, but it's not like, oh, when you're added to a new team, I'm on floor seven now. Oh, shit. You know, I, I can't yep. like it's 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 completely different. Um, and so. It's it's. It, I think one day there'll be you know we'll maybe 
talk more or uh, about our experiences with acquisition when we have finalized it because I'm saying all this stuff for now and we're in, still in the honeymoon period. It's only been right. one year of acquisitions. That's true. In the second, third year, I might be saying, you know, remote acquisitions don't work, don't do them. But yeah, for now, exactly. opposite. I'm, I'm really, I, 100% anyone ask, that asks me about it, I say that uh, being remote allows you to do more acquisitions more efficiently and also more convincingly because it can operate in the way they want. It's only about, you know, sharing the same goals and merging the same ideas. Totally. Yeah, well, I sense. think Brienne has our final question for you. I do. Johnny, this wouldn't be a business podcast if we didn't ask for your predictions. Um, so as the world is starting to open up, um, we're starting to see some hybrid events. We're seeing people meeting in person. I know some conferences are, 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 are trying or attempting or planning to be on site later this year. How do you think about the next couple of years um, at Hopin and some of the ways that events are going to change over time? Yeah, it's a great question. What I suspect will happen will be similar to what Shopify did uh, in e-commerce. One product, basically, because people want one system of record eventually for events, i.e. the data piece of events becomes too important. And that's part of our vision that yep. you should be able to, you, you know, uh, if you're hosting a conference and then you host, you know, two more events after that, all the data about that attendee who went to that conference, who participated in a few things, how, how yep. long, what do they watch, what do they like, all this sort of stuff, all these interests should be plugged into the platform and one system of record, what yeah. poll they answered, all of these sort of things. So what I suspect, you know, you're going to see Hopin be a platform that's not only doing virtual events, also connecting you. We already have the on-site technology piece, so your QR code, your scanning. But mm -hmm. anything around events, any type of event that's run in the world uh, should be Hopin that's running it. Just from a technology standpoint, you can put, we want to be an open ecosystem so you can build on top of us and all that sort of stuff. We have great integrations with Slido and Kahoot for trivia and all that sort of stuff. But the point is that you know, uh, I think there's is one world for, for one product for events is going to give a lot of customers a lot more value through the data piece that everything will be stored uh, and all these intents will be driven and shown, uh, you know, for, for people to use uh, at multiple events. And at the same time, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, 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 what you probably see in. So I think that's where the world, you know, that's where it's going in a year or two, all these data orientated uh, systems for events. But I think in. Three to five years, you know, I think we'll we'll be talking about because uh, I think uh, I think VR and AR are getting to the point where, like, I don't think they're in here there now, but everybody always says every five years from now, we're never we'll, everything's going to be out VR and AR. But I do think like 2025, hopefully plus, like, will be even events will have you know VR and AR will play a large role in events. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, Brienne, take note. We could do a live version of the shakeup in VR. It would be like we're right there with you. To some extent. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. Johnny, this has been such an absolute pleasure. Thank you one more time for coming on The Shake Up. We really enjoyed it today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be invited and, and to speak with you guys. Cheers. Hey, Rianne, are you ready to do that thing we practiced? Oh my gosh, is it time? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one. Don't, Don't forget, forget to, to subscribe, subscribe and, and leave, leave us, us a review. review. Pretty good. <laughs> Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Production support comes from Lauren Schild. Our engineer is William Lowe, with research from Corey Broccolini. And special thanks to Kyle Denhoff and Lisa Toner. 
Word of mouth is the best way to help people discover our little podcast. Be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review, you know, to let other people know how awesome we are. We have some amazing guests coming up this season that you won't want to miss. See you next time.